Hey, is your first name Brian? Yeah. All right, I was afraid the whole time. I thought it was, and I was just, I was terrified the entire time. <laughs> We're on here with Butch Fox, uh, <laughs> talking Bearcats. Day and welcome to Cincy Slangin'. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, you know, Coomer, it is a beautiful friggin' day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats sports fan. We had none other than B Fox on the podcast today to talk about the wild, wild ride we're on with respect to college football. Uh, We obviously, none of us know what the hell is going on. None of us know what's going to happen. But we decided to spend a little bit of time together to talk about the decision the Big Ten made, Pac-12, the fact that other colleges and universities within the Big Ten are revolting and attempting to continue to play football, the fact that other conferences did not make decisions as rapidly as those conferences did. Look, we were all over the place. I thought it was a fun interview. First time talking to him. Best Twitter account in Bearcats Nation. Um, great interview. What do you think, Hum? It was wonderful. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, let's get to it then, buddy. Now, be Fox. All right, folks. We are now joined by the soothsayer of Bearcats sports, uh, a man of many talents, uh, incredibly peaceful to listen to him on his own podcast. Um, we are joined by B Fox. B Fox, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, it is an honor. Um, I appreciate the soothsayer title. Uh, it is it is both humbling and at the same time um, fitting and earned. So I guess not very humbling. <laughs> no, extremely fitting, well earned. Um, look, we wanted to have you on because you're you're quite um, you're an you're a guy with many many talents. Uh, you have a legal background. In fact, I believe that is your your profession, and I think you would have some good insight uh, to lend to what's going on in the news these days. So I really want to kick things off with with the most pressing topic. What are your thoughts on that Urban Meyer video? Um, what what was going on in that video with Urban Meyer? Have you do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, I do, and um, so my first instinct was to question: Is he in a locker room? Right? <laughs> is 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 you know I I would like to hope that he's not in a public locker room. There there appeared to be a familiarity with the gentleman who was unclothed that he was uh, gesturing at uh, some sort of friendship. Maybe I I don't know. But then I, I think it's either a locker room, a bathhouse, or uh, it, could, it could also be a, like a, a yacht. He, he is of sufficient <laughs> means where he could, he could have buddies with yachts, some, some sort of large vessel um, going on there. It, it the took tap, me a minute to realize what he was talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did just see, we did just see Urban Meyer on a yacht. <laughs> The, the sheer terror on Urban Meyer's face and then the yeah. tapping in the background is, is certainly what caught my eyes, uh, but also ears. Well, and I think, so um, 
the reason I landed on yacht uh, is one because in addition to be a in addition to being a soothsayer, I'm I'm a I'm an, a, a commodore, um, a, a Ohio commodore. I was anointed that by a former governor, so I'm I'm, I'm familiar with maritime items. And then I, I also thought, you know, about Urban Meyer and and I bet he has friends who who have enough money and 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 at times are drunk enough to want to mess with him when he's doing stuff like this. And so I, I think he was on some sort of boat and his buddy was in a swimsuit or I don't know, some some state of uh, disrobing uh, and was <laughs> trying to mess with him. Oh, you're on national TV? My bad. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> No, I, I got, I got a, that was a, a moment of bliss for me in otherwise very dark times as, as, as with respect to college sports. Yes. The real reason we wanted to have you on, uh, Mr. Fox, is the fact that the Big Ten canceled its season. Uh, and now there appears to be obviously a backlash to that, both from fans and, and parents of athletes. So let's just start when, when the season was initially canceled. I mentioned earlier, you had a very strong reaction to uh, their their statement about the cancellation, or maybe that was even before the cancellation. Just kind of, what do you think about this whole thing in terms of the Big Ten, Pac-12 have both canceled their seasons. Um, there's conferences that are hanging on to dear, for dear life, just like the American. How, how are you wrapping your head around this whole thing in terms of how different universities are handling things so, so dramatically different uh, with respect to this COVID-19 virus? Yeah. Well, so I think the um, the Big Ten is poorly led um, as a conference. I think people thought that before, and I think they're definitely coming around to that idea now. I think the Pac-12 is is also not led very well. Um, I, I think in this bizarre system that we have, where there's no accountability, there's no real leadership, the NCAA has clearly shirked its responsibility in all of this. You know, you, you kind of have, you know, these, these different warlords who, who kind of run things and the warlords that run the big, big 10 right now, for whatever reason, felt like they had authority to make this decision. I think it's becoming clear uh, by the day that, that the wrong warlord uh, was making the call here and that Ryan Day and the Ohio State Athletic Department probably has more more say in what happens to the Big Ten season than maybe even the Big Ten commissioner because there's it sounds like there's some sort of miniature revolt going on with um, Ohio State, Nebraska, Michigan, and Iowa who have all indicated a clear preference to play and you know initially the Big Ten Conference, when it was just Nebraska saying that very vocally and adamantly, the Big Ten Conference said, well, no, that's not an option. Now they've softened that stance, and those four teams are looking for some sort of home this year. Maybe, maybe not. Um, when I hear that, I, you know, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but I, I earlier extended a formal uh, invitation to three of those programs uh, to join the American Athletic Conference. I did not invite John Harbaugh's team, Jim Harbaugh, sorry, Jim Harbaugh's team to- uh, to We would have invited John Harbaugh, right? If John Harbaugh- Absolutely. You know, we're probably inviting them. A better dude, a good guy. (laughs) Jim, not so much. Absolutely Um, not. 
Yeah. It yeah. doesn't so, have the character for the American Athletic Conference. This is a this is a high character league. High character. We don't we don't need another we don't need another Tulane. All right. We don't we don't need another East Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want a bad we don't want a bad road environment. Um Ann Arbor, those people were kind of mean to me. Uh so I, I don't I don't harbor a lot of warm feelings for the folks up there or, or the entire state of Michigan. So you know, so so you know, that decision was made um I think both those conference commissioners realized they made it prematurely um, and that they did while they thought they had adequate buy-in from from the members of their conferences I don't think that they did I think they had maybe adequate buy-in from the presidents of those universities and you know the reason that I was surprised that they made that decision one is because uh, nothing's changed like the data it, science is slow. When this thing initially happened, when the coronavirus initially hit us, um, it, you know, everybody, you know, first, don't touch, don't touch, you know, fabrics because the fabric could have the virus on it. And don't wear a mask. And now wear a mask and it's, it's, it's pretty clear that, that, you know, that the virus doesn't live on fabrics for weeks on end. And so, you know, people can take off their latex gloves and, and shop freely. Uh, so I, I think you know, that's going on, you know, that was going on early, but now a lot of the science is relatively settled about how this infectious disease is spread. And, and so I found it a little odd that with really no data changing, with really no like, you know, glaring scientific discovery occurring in that interim period that suddenly those conferences made that decision. I think they jumped out there expecting that the rest of the world would follow based upon what science they were looking at. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with the long-term um, cardiac complications associated with this disease. But I don't know that that's a uniform understanding or perspective on, on the coronavirus or whether uh, these other conferences have read that same data point and determined that that is uh, the sort of thing that they consider to be a reasonable risk. Um, well, you know, I, I think I, what you're hitting on, I think is largely the fact that the big 10 and PAC 12 jumped into things so quickly without the changing yeah. factors. Right. That, I think that was kind of the, the interesting thing with how those two conferences handled things. I still, I think there's, there's reasons to be a, a bit skeptical about the, the full college season playing out this fall. Yes. I think there's, it, you know, having seasons pushed back or canceled um, is still a potential outcome. I think the, the way in which the Big Ten and Pac-12 came to their decision seems hasty at best. And, yeah. and uh, it just hasn't played out, right? Like the reasons to be skeptical might be the, the, why, the virus spreading on a college campus and those environments just not being conducive to. Uh, it's not going to act like an NBA bubble, let's say. You know, why there's you, not. That? Why do you think that it would spread more on college campuses? Promiscuous sex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a pretty good example. The Oklahoma Oklahoma left their protective bubble, and immediately nine students go out and, and can contract COVID. You know, at, in, the, at the disco at the local discotheque and watering hole, I suppose. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's they're kids. I, I think we I think we forget sometimes that these are 18, 19 year old kids, and and I'm an, I remember my undergrad. I would not use the word smart. To, to identify my behavior during those, those, those years. 
Uh, so we're, we're tasking a lot of responsibility on 18 and 19 year olds to, to do the right thing. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I actually don't agree. Yeah. Unpaid. unpaid. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to say they even did it hastily because these universities with their local health departments, if I, if they had to go through anything, what, what my wife's had to do with her university in Philadelphia, they've been going, they've been going over their reopening plan for over two months. They have to submit their plan to the local department of health. They, the department of health is the one actually approving that plan. The universities actually have no say whatsoever in what they're doing. If it's not going to fit what the department of health wants. So I'm thinking it's, if the presidents are making that determination, they're, they're probably not even asking for the athletic director's input. They're just saying, you know what, this is what we have to do in order to make sure we meet the standards for our university. This is what we need to do. We can't, we can't really maybe risk this. Or I think you said it good. Is this a, a CYA type of situation, you know, from the president? Let's just cover our asses and make sure that we're, we're not going to get on that back end. God forbid a kid does get a heart condition or dies on the field because of it, or he gives it to a coach and that coach dies. I think there's a lot of risk there for him. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, as I, it, it's impossible to think about all of this without thinking about it in the context of, you know, a, a player's rights movement that's taken place within the concept of amateurism and, um, and, and this, this big financial overlay that covers college sports. I mean, you've got, not just college sports, but the business of higher education. You know, I think, I think there is a, a reasonable probability, we'll call it, that after universities deposit the initial tuition deposit checks, after they get, make sure that they're going to have the, you know, and celebrate the the world's biggest freshman class that they've ever entertained and all the universities <laughs> do that. Right. And, and, and they all celebrate the huge financial windfall that comes twice a year when these, when, when these students pay their tuition deposits in, in fall. And then, you know, when they re up and, and go this, this spring semester as well. So you've got that big financial overlay, you know, where university presidents are, they need that. But I think there's a reasonable probability that after, they start with classes, they're going to, they're going to find uh, that this, this thing spreads like wildfire and, and then they're going to go fully remote. And now you're going to have kids at some of these schools with a really, really high price tag who are, you know, basically doing zoom classes and they're paying, you know, uh, 30 to $60,000 a year uh, for the world's worst streaming service where they get these old professors who are still not caught up and who are still doing, you know, kind of old curriculum just with through a video and they're going to find that the return on their investment isn't that good. Um, so you've got that going on and then you've got these, you know, university athletic budgets. I mean, Ohio state, I, I don't know. I think that they net a hundred, a hundred million dollars a year. I know that they were valued, I think by Forbes as a billion dollar, you know, enterprise that that athletic department, or at least the football program was a billion dollar program. Yeah. Um, it was them and Texas and a couple others. And, and so you, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, so it, we're talking about a lot of money at stake. So, I, you know, so that's why I think that the big 10 jumped out there without really considering the financial impact. Um, and then you've got, you know, universities who are, 
apparently going to make the decision that yeah we're going to welcome students back onto campus because again they don't want they don't want to they don't want the mob to come after them for you know charging forty thousand dollars for the world's worst streaming service and and then not allowing football to go on yet if they're going to allow everybody else to live in dorms and go to classes and sit in a in a room a windowless room with 50 other students and an older professor that like that is at risk you know it just doesn't it's inconsistent and so it, i think that yeah that's well, that's what i think is that was my react one of my like that my gut was like this it doesn't feel fair um it doesn't feel fair to the student athletes who may who might very well want to play it doesn't feel fair um that student athletes continue to be uncompensated it doesn't feel fair that universities somehow despite sitting on these billion dollar endowments continue to live you know paycheck to paycheck based on you know tuition deposits and i don't know it just seems like there's a lot of unfairness and a lot of greed that has crowded out some very reasonable you know workable solutions to all of this and and we can't think about what is the right thing or what's the healthiest thing or what's the best thing to do because a nobody's in charge like we don't you know how long has college football been around we're and we're still we still do not have the ncaa declaring a national champion every year um this year they're saying you know that well you know what was the line that that the ncaa released on the the blue box I'm not going to remember that off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, they, they I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I think it was, I don't know. So, so you've got that going on where they, they continue to not control the sport. Um, so that's, you know, there's, there's no leadership. Um, there's no real thought to, I mean, the NCAA continues to bungle this name, image and likeness thing. And yet, um, there's just again very reasonable solutions and workable outcomes there that they they just can't seem to get their minds around because they're so dead set on preventing this from taking place i mean so, the, you know, the, the, the transfer rule they, they kick the transfer rule they kick the can down the road another year on that decision it's a bit of a microcosm for how they conduct business right they just they never are able to get their their ducks in a row on making big decisions and now we have the biggest decision to make uh, as an entity and, and it's and it and probably it's lifetime, right? Like you don't have this kind of thing ever happen in college sports. Yep. Leadership would be important and it's just not there. And it, I know it's not unique to college sports, but you, you hit on a few things about how universities conduct business, how they have these billion dollar endowments, how they're always still crying poor. Um, how if there's ever a year, to dip into that endowment <laughs> to try and uh, make yeah. up make up for some costs where you're going to lose some money or maybe reduce tuition. You know, the fact that Harvard's not reducing tuition and going full remote, and they've probably got the biggest endowment in the college landscape, I imagine. I can't imagine a university with bigger endowment. Well, I mean, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate on that one because, you know, I think that Harvard having a billion dollar, you know, or $30 billion endowment, yeah, 50. whatever it is, 50, yeah. 30, whatever billion dollar endowment, allow them to be able to make that decision quickly that, hey, you know what, we're just not going to have kids on campus. We're going to cancel all of our sports. We're going to be able to do this because you know what? Yes, this will cost us more money in the long run up front, but we have the money to be able to do it. 
The fact of the matter is though, yes, you do have some older teachers who may not be as good at Zoom, but for the most part, at least from what I've seen, you know, at least through my very narrow and limited scope with what my wife does, my wife is a professor at, at a university and they're all trained in how to do this. And most of these students or in schools have hybrid programs anyway, where some classes are online, some are not. I myself am a student at St. Joe's University uh, where I'm taking online classes and I'm not seeing any decrease in value for what I'm getting online. You know, at the same, end of the day, you're going at Harvard or some of those schools, you're getting some of the top professors in the world who are, who are, who are working in those universities. So you're still getting instruction from them. You know, and just because it's not online, it's not in person, I don't think it's really taking away from their experience that Harvard needs to come and say, well, you know what, we're gonna reduce your, your tuition by 25%. You know, we're gonna make it more in line with what a, what a state college would be going to UConn. Because at the end of the day, you're still, you're paying for the Harvard brand, you're paying for the professors that are, that are there. They, they still didn't make it any easier to get into the school. So they still have those high standards that they're holding you to. And I think a lot of these universities the same way. I, I don't think even if you go to University of Cincinnati that you know, they have a billion dollar endowment fund, but I don't think they should be coming in and saying, well, you know what, this is all online. We're going to charge you exactly what it would cost to go to Phoenix, you know, Phoenix online. Harvard is, is never going to admit though that you are paying for the degree, right? They don't want you to, <laughs> they don't, they don't want to give up the game that that's in fact yes. what your tuition is paying for is the piece of 100%. paper. Listen, I, I, I live in a professional world where competence is, you know, incredibly important. Being able to be creative, thoughtful, on the fly, on your feet is incredibly important. And I can tell you that um, that the name brand of the degree means nothing. It really doesn't in the practical application of living out your life as a as a lawyer in the city of Cincinnati. I I'm with you. So I I, I taught business law at UC for a while. Um, I, I'm so I'm familiar with, you know. Um, higher ed. Uh, I do think that there are plenty of professors who provide incredible value um, and will continue to provide incredible value by doing it remotely. I think, I think most professors who are worth anything in 2019 were already providing a, a lot of content by utilizing modern technology. But the problem is you know, universities are bloated with administrators upon administrators who are highly compensated. It's not necessarily the, the professors who uh, are the greatest cost center. I mean, they, they, they're often a fixed cost because a lot of them obtain tenure and, and even the bad ones can't be removed. But a lot of the glut in the, is in the overhead lies in those duplicative, redundant administrative layers that do nothing for students. The vice dean of student <laughs> affairs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and I do, I do think, you know, I'm with you that when you're talking about a student who signed up for biology, you know, 100 level biology, you know, the, the substance of what they're being taught and communicated, they're going to have the book, they're going to have the same words coming out of the professor's mouth. You know, he might even uh, continue to wear the corduroy jacket with the elbow patches. Um, you know, all of those things might still be the case. But I think all of us, you know, as adults know that, it, that you know, your, your college experience is about far more than just the provision of that curriculum. 
and it has a lot more to do with the relationships you build, how you kind of sort your life out among your peers. Um, you know, you, as you watch your peers drink themselves back home uh, and out of their college opportunities, you know, all of that sorting process is, a, I think, a very valuable component of, of college. And, and so I do think, you know, it, yes, you'll obtain the same curriculum. You'll get the same words. You'll get the same words on the page. Uh, and, and it's the same curriculum. But the experience is certainly a, uh, a far worse experience than you would have if you were actually, you know, studying in, you know, in Massachusetts and, and learning from these people in person. There's, there's just something about that in person experience. Um, I think good professors will continue to be good professors. And I think uh, bad professors will continue to be bad professors. Um, so I do think that there, but I do think that there's a reduced value in the provision of that education when you're doing it purely from a remote platform. Uh, and, that's the con um, and that's the concern though, that parents of, you know, kindergartners or first graders or fifth graders, they have those concerns about free education in public schools about going full remote because sure you can teach the content, but there's an intrinsic value to going to school, interacting with your friends, learning in person and having that experience that you just put words to. And now at the college level, now imagine, imagine that feeling as a parent, knowing that you're cashing thousands and thousands of dollars in checks for the remote bland textbook experience on, on zoom. For, for Billy to sit in the basement, you know, <laughs> like walk out in his PJs and, and, you know, to create Settle the situation up. where he puts his his phone in front of the camera to make it look like he's attending, but he's actually playing video games on the side, <laughs> yes, like Hubbard yes. does during this podcast. I did not play video games <laughs> during the podcast. <laughs> Something yeah. that was mentioned earlier was the fact that the players you felt bad for, for the for the players who want to play football. There's parents who want to see their kids play football, and now that's that's kind of the pushback you're seeing within the Big Ten. Trevor Lawrence, I think, was the biggest name that put uh, he put a name to the message of hashtag we want to play that that hashtag, though, came with some requests, including establishing universal mandated health and safety procedures, uh, giving players, obviously, the opt the, the right to opt out uh, several requests in there. But I think the, the idea of universal mandated health and safety procedures is a difficult ask, especially given the fact that different universities have different resources. Ohio State, no problem at all. We'll put the money up for, for legitimate testing. Uh, they can probably put procedures in place that make parents and players feel comfortable playing football, knowing that we can get kids who are infected out of the game, quarantined, keep the ball moving. moving. Other universities don't have those same means. Is that a hang-up in itself in terms of getting this thing going? I, I mean, Yes. I would think I would think so. Um, you know, it, it, there's it, it's hard to talk out of the one side of your mouth about you know we care about the health and safety of our student athlete, and then you know, and and then to continue to not only you know make it difficult for for programs who may not have the budgets that Alabama has, um, or the budget that Ohio State or Texas has to try to like eke out what's the best system that they possibly can eke out. I mean, if, if the season is to go forward, I think both universities uh, and the NCAA ought to be doing all that they can um, to, 
to marshal resources in the direction of these programs and these coaches and to add, you know, get, give them an increased budget to add medical staff, give them an increased budget to add, you know, to, to what they already provide. I mean, it probably ought to, ought to already be there, but you know, that's, that seems like a very reasonable thing. Yeah. The, the To an extent, I think it's reasonable for the bigger conferences, you know, your big tens, your PAC 12s, your SECs, your ACC to an extent, the American athletic conference, I'd say we're probably the last of those conferences that have, the, the resources to do that on maybe every school. And even maybe we don't have the resources when it comes down to like a school like East Carolina, uh, you know, who, like you, like you mentioned, it's a stellar road environment. Uh, they're just, they're just, they're just bringing in revenue dollars left and right. Uh, you know, it might be harder to say for a school like East Carolina, Hey, you know, we're going to need you to throw up an extra 50 grand, you know, this year to, in order for you to be able to play football, uh, you know, or per sport, because if it's not just football, you know, we're making sure we can do this for all sports. Yeah, I don't know how Title IX is going to play into that. But just, to, just to protect football, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just to protect football, you know, you got to throw this money up. But so then once you get in, and if the MAC were still playing, I'm sure the MAC schools would have a hard time saying, well, why would we do that? You know, especially, you know, and then getting into the, the sm even smaller conferences, like the first thing that they cut, uh, Julia's school is very, very small. It's in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, I think they play in the same league as Holy Cross. Um, that was the first thing they did. They're like, yeah, no sports done why like, it brings no revenue into the school why would we do this uh the next step they're waiting for is when are they going to furlough all the basically all of the the staff members surrounding the athletic program you know just to, to cut down those costs so you know when you're saying all right should we have a football season or not i think it's a good ask actually for for the big 10 and for the and for the bigger conferences but i think the issue lies in that the ncaa doesn't wield enough power or influence to be able to say here's what every school needs to do in order to make this safe you know, like the NBA is so successful because they got every single team to do the exact same thing. The MLB is less successful because they don't have every single team doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I think um, every one of those MAC schools has adequate resources. I mean, they don't, yes, their their teams may not produce, re like, you know, your, your average game at, uh, at Miami University, it, you know, football game you're not going to have, you're not making money there, but they, they're also sitting on a over a billion dollar endowment. I mean, all of these schools, they have so much money. I mean, there well, is, that's, well, that's what the endowment though, isn't for the benefit of athletics. The reach, the mission of the university is not to play football. It's to educate students. But that's the problem with endowments in general, right? What is the point of an endowment? Cause most universities, yeah. the point of the endowment seems to be to make the endowment bigger. And I'm not, right. I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent, a hundred percent, but yes. that's it. But that's the only value of the endowment, right? I never, how it trickles down beyond that is a, is a bit beyond my pay grade. Well, it's, so I can explain a little bit about that. Sure. So in these endowments, often they're raising money and they raise money based on a drive. Okay. And so that drive is we want, you know, we want to increase our facilities by, you know, X, you know, three X or whatever. Now all of the money that is then donated pursuant to that drive is becomes a restricted asset. It's an asset that because it was, you know, donated with that cause in mind, it's earmarked and it has to be spent for those express purposes relative to that drive. But that's not endowments aren't just full of earmarked assets. There are some restricted assets and then there are some non-restricted assets. Those non-restricted assets the only thing preventing them from 
from liquidating those to use those for operations um, is often because the purpose of endowments is to grow bigger endowment, the bigger endowment, right? And and all, all of those endowments, you know, you're talking about a billion dollars. It's it's not just sitting in a safe, you know, it's in an interest bearing account where they're generating tons of interest. Every, you know, think about office space. What would you do if you, you know, if, yeah, if you shave yeah. off a fraction of a penny, two, two schools at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you think about that office space quotes when, uh, you know, Mr. Naina Najjar, they asked him, you know, what would you do with all that money? And he starts talking about investing it and what he would do. And, and, you know, just trying to return 8% off of his investment. I mean, you've got billions of dollars sitting in these interest bearing accounts that is, you know, that, that continues to grow the endowment organically based upon market performance. I'm just so, concerned though, like that, if that endowment goes from 50 billion to 49.8 billion, like Harvard that, closes, the, you got to close <laughs> the impact on that, on that interest. You've got to close Hogwarts. If, if it drops to 48 million, you got to close Hogwarts. That's the <laughs> bottom line. So like for schools like schools like Harvard aren't really I mean maybe they are a good case study but I think maybe they're they're not a good case study because they are the outliers in terms of these gigantic endowments well, and I'm not I, saying a billion dollars is a small sum of money because it's not but it is different than 30 billion to where all of a sudden you're saying okay you, you use you use the example of saying if it goes from 40,000 or 40 billion to 39 billion so they took a billion dollars out of that, in that I'm not saying, no I said I said so 50 if I have a billion all right, so you're still thinking $200 million. You're still saying $200 million. It's a made That's 20% up number. of a billion dollar fund though. To say $200 million, here we go for an operating budget. When we need, all right, we need a million, a million more for this sport. We need you know, this much for this or, or however much you need. But you're starting to say that, all right, now you're talking percentage. But the, like you said, the goal of the endowment is to grow because 5% of a billion is smaller than 5% of 1.2 billion. I'm but saying billion, though that the whole idea of the billion. endowment is flawed. It's a billion dollars. Like it's a billion dollars. The point. The point is that it, it. The point of the endowment is stupid to begin with, right? If you're not going to use those unrestricted assets that you just alluded to, what are we doing here? That's this is the time. This is what it's for. COVID nineteen. Ever there was a time. If ever there was a time. Now is that time. Yes. Well, that's, I, I, I think, I guess, well, that's why I they're asking. Is it prudent to spend that money on football? Or is it prudent to spend that money on the yes academic? all of it yes all of it. all of it on football baby <laughs> yes so I mean that's so I look at I look at uh, I take the University of Cincinnati okay the University of Cincinnati is uh, flagship university the best university in the world in my humble opinion okay There's no so, there. you know that's a very good well, opinion I, I think so <laughs> I think so uh, it seems sound so it, best university in the world. And if you look at the University of Cincinnati's growth, its trajectory within our local academic ecosystem and the state and, and regional and national eco academic ecosystem, Brian Kelly shows up, okay? And I know there is a rich basketball tradition, but football <laughs> is king, okay? Brian Kelly shows up and in 2008, 2009, shocks the world. Suddenly the CPAW is now appearing in you know, New Year's Six Bowl games. If you chart the growth of the university from that point forward, it is pronounced. And I'm not saying it's entirely attributable to football, but football is not just a pastime. It is a marketing tool. It is, it is something that has, has transformed universities like Ohio State, like Texas, 
and has created this enormous brand that yes, they do accomplish incredible things on a research front. They become these flagship research institutions, but football drives a lot of the intrigue and the growth. If you're 18 and you're making a decision about where to go to school, where to spend that $40,000 check each year, are you going to choose based on which school has the most, you know, uh, research, you know, who, who's the best research school? Probably not. You're going to yes, want to go, <laughs> right? I mean, more often than not, 18 year olds are making decisions based upon, you know, they want a good brand, right? Football is very helpful in driving that. They want to go somewhere that's affordable, you know, football doesn't necessarily impact that. Um, they want to go somewhere, you know, where they can meet other people, where they can interact with their peers. Football's great for that. Um, you know, all of these things are what, you know, when you're talking about attracting more students and growing, say that you have the biggest freshman year that the university's ever seen, the freshman class, football is certainly a contributing factor to that. And so I, I'm not, I wouldn't, no reasonable person would say, hey, let's take that endowment let's take all that cash and let's drop it into athletics because that's what we're all about. Um, 1.4 billion, gonna, baby, 400 million. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. This could be better than the Coliseum in Rome. Can you imagine? It'll last a thousand years. We're built, we're <laughs> building something bigger than the Dallas Cowboys up here in Harvard. <laughs> Hogwarts is going to win the national championship every year. Um, the, li you know, the Liberty you, University model. That's right. Yeah. So you look at, you know, yes. I mean, I think football plays a big role you can't look at the university's payroll and say, Hey, we're, we're making, we're making research based decisions or we're making education based decisions. Cause if you look at the university, one, my favorite professor, I'll give him a shout out, Mark Gotze. I had him in, in law school at UC. He runs the uh, innocence project. The guy was a rock star. Okay. I had took evidence with him, just a fantastic professor. I'm not sure what he makes and, and I'm not, and I'm, I won't call him and ask him. But I would hazard a guess that he makes maybe 5% of what Luke Fickle makes a year. So I think we can reasonably look at the, you know, the, the relative compensation for people and, and make a very clear acknowledgement that football does really matter. And while we may not raid the endowment to you know, to make sure that, that everybody has a leather recliner that they can sit in while watching games in Nippert Stadium, though I have specifically asked for one, and to date, the athletic department has done nothing for me in that regard. Um, coming. It's coming. We got to get them after this podcast. Is coming. First. <laughs> that, it's got, yeah, that's got to get fixed. I'm talking to you, Ryan Coslin. Um, but when you look at when you look at the endowment, you know, Money is fungible. So maybe you've got restricted assets that are going to go towards facilities or whatever. Um, whenever that money was given, you know, whatever that, that project was, and they're raising funds for that endowment, there was, you know, a, a document that provided what the allowable uses of those funds raised pursuant to that drive were. Okay. You know, money's fungible. So let's look at our general operating budget and let's be more strategic and, you know, specifically try to fully fund our athletics so that we're not operating on a deficit. Um, you know, so we're not always operating, you know, trying to string together the, you know, the University of Cincinnati's athletics department has long been operated on a shoestring. 
I mean, it, it's it's been a problem. It's been underfunded, I would say. Now, yeah, I'm sure that there are professors who would take the opposite position, but I, I think you know one of the reasons. Okay, so so let's let's wind the clock back in time a little bit. The year uh, is 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 Tommy Tuberville. Okay, he's the head football coach at the University of Cincinnati. You mean Senator Tuberville. <laughs> Senator Senator Tuberville. Okay. Now he's a senator. So, so, uh, you know, when he was the coach, he was also, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be too specific. He, he was top, top five in donors to the athletics department. All right. And I think that that factors in, right? Because you've got a, we don't have, unfortunately, T. Boone Pickens is not a University of Cincinnati fan. He likes Ohio, Oklahoma State. And so Oklahoma State operates with a blank check. We don't have that, but knowing how much football and successful athletics drives, you know, our brand drives, you know, freshman students being interested in the university, transfer students being interested in the university, graduate students being interested in the university, certainly the athletic department should be funded at a greater rate. How do, so how do universities of UC size that may have underfunding issues how do they tend to scale that outside of the, the, the T Boone Pickens model where you, you just get lucky, hit the lottery with a, a billionaire uh, passionate fan? Um, Memphis. I, maybe you don't know. I, I, well, the, Memphis the has that. In, they have that. They've got FedEx right there, man. Um, I think you, it, it takes a reasonable approach to how the university organizes and funds its different departments. Just priorities yeah. within, within the university yeah. itself. Yeah, you've got to reprioritize right. and you've got to treat athletics not as just uh, intercollegiate amateurs. Uh, having, you know, working out and learning great traditions and work ethic and we just acknowledge, hey, it's also a big marketing tool. And so... Right. The, Think of, think of athletics as both something that's great for student athletes, that's great for people in general as they learn those, you know, intercollegiate leadership sorts of things. But let's also acknowledge that it's a big driver of marketing and advertising and that there are few things that could build your brand as a university quite like athletics. Florida Atlantic University. Have you thought about Florida Atlantic University uh, prior to them hiring a certain head coach who now coaches the University of Mississippi. I had only, not. Only because that's where my cousin went. Okay, yeah. I mean, so Lane, <laughs> Lane Kiffin gets hired by Florida Atlantic University. And, I mean, if you look, there's data out there on what their freshman classes look like pre-Lane Kiffin, and then now look at what their classes were like post-Lane Kiffin. Now, I'm not sure if there's been a drop-off, but it played a big role. If you're – if you're an 18-year-old uh, guy who's into football and you're trying to figure out where you can go to school and you've got four schools there and one of those schools is Florida Atlantic where you know Lane Kiffin just took over as a head coach, guess what? They, they probably are going to win. If, I love the if, idea of, of Lane Kiffin taking a new job and they're just being a mass exodus of students from the university <laughs> transferring. That's it. I'm out. That's it. I came here for Lane. I did not come here for a degree. And so I must go. Yeah. I'm curious what Iona's enrollment would be after they hired Rick Pitino. 
Oh my gosh! It, just wait. I mean, in it. So I think Rick. I should have got my NBA there, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I think Rick Pitino, in the next five years, if he's allowed, and if the NCAA doesn't, you know, uh, shut him down for running a strip club uh, out of a dorm at the University of Louisville, <laughs> I think Iona will be a school that will get start getting top twenty classes. And they will suddenly be a brand like a Gonzaga if he stays there. Right. Um, and he's I, a vampire. Just, just, you know, he's a vampire. He will live forever and they will be good for decades to come. That's correct. Yeah. He's a, he is a, he's a basketball vampire. I mean, the guy is an incredible coach. Um, there's, I, there's, nobody's going to say he's not a great coach. And, oh my gosh, can you imagine that guy in your living room <laughs> just selling you? I mean, how neat as, you know, you're, you're an 18-year-old phenom, and suddenly Rick Pitino. Remember the mob up. is sitting in your living room. Yeah, you're, ter- yeah. You're, you're terrified. You're charmed. You're excited. Charmed. Yeah. Um, you're Lisa not sure Pino's how much you're in gonna, my living room. <laughs> you don't know how much you're going to make at Iona, but you know you're going to make a lot more than you would at other schools. Yep. And, Entertainment. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I understand that you know, it's definitely a good marketing tool. Um, I mean, I think you might be able to argue – the other way too that Cincinnati has adequately funded the the athletics program and the fact that yes it loses money but they're getting their, they're getting a return on that money and okay. so in the fact that you are getting these large recruits you are getting these, this interest in the school we are the hottest college in America still um, yes. you know we so spend well we spend well what we do spend we we're, we're efficient with it we we uh, squeeze seems like we may overspend a bit but yes. <laughs> But I, yeah, maybe that's strategic. I don't know. Well, let me, uh, let me pivot. This. I think we spend p- a lot and, and for what we, what we work with, I think we do well with the resources that we have on hand. You know, we are in a situation where we're kind of in the middle of nowhere's land, you know, no man's land when it comes to conference and conference affiliation. You know, for now. For now. Put us into that next state step though. And this is a university. Coomer and I talked about this. And so I'll say this, you put us in the big 12, and we're playing against Kansas every year, we're a blue blood program. We have the ability to become a blue blood program. You know, win, win a national championship in a, in a conference where we're playing against schools like that, all of a sudden we're in that conversation of being top five all-time programs. There's no Amen. doubt about it that Cincinnati has that ability. Yep. That dog will hunt, as they say. Well, let me, let me pivot this a little bit and just ask your, both of your personal thoughts on this. Because if we're getting back to the idea of, of sports starting back up, seeing these conferences, these universities try and push the season to start by any means necessary. To me, it's just made me feel a little bit icky, right? And it's just the idea that we have to keep this money train going and by any means necessary. And uh, there have been some schools where reports have come out about uh, suppressing COVID news or not doing sufficient testing and putting pressure on players to not report symptoms. Those are your, those are the biggest fears you would have about a restart in college sports. I guess what's really jumped out to me and what COVID-19 has done with respect to college sports is just kind of point out how broken the system is. It's something we knew, but it's really just exposed the entire thing in terms of, look, it's just, it's a bit unethical. Uh, College kids should be obviously able to use their, their name and image for profit there probably needs to be better compensation across the board. 
you're running this like a business in every sense of the word. The only reason it's not a business is that you're not paying the labor. Yes, uh, I agree. Um, I, you know, I, thought, I think the name image likeness thing presents a whole can of worms because, and this is why I think the NCAA keeps, you know, kicking the can. One, because they're unable to think outside of this amateurism box. And they think that the, the, as soon as, you know, you start paying players, suddenly these guys become professionals and everything changes. I, that's, that is a boogeyman with, that does not scare me in the slightest because I root for the University of Cincinnati because it's where I went to school and it's, you know, it's my community. And I think it'll always be that way. It's always going to be the case. So the fact that you introduce money into this ecosystem does nothing, I think, to change allegiances or, or adversely impact the product on the field. I think the name, image, and likeness proposal is a strange way of going about it because what you're doing, if you if you just allow it to occur unregulated, and I think there's zero chance in, in hell that that happens because if it happens unregulated, you are going to suddenly have student athletes competing with already underfunded athletic departments. So let's say you're a well-known car dealer in the city of Cincinnati, okay? And you're accustomed to stroking large checks to the University of Cincinnati, okay? That's a good word choice there. Yep. And, and so you're used, to, you're used to paying lots of money to support, you know, the school that you love. Great. And, and so you're, let's say your spend, your annual spend in – in supporting University of Cincinnati Athletics is, is $200,000. That's your budget. But suddenly, with a name, image, and likeness system in place, you realize, hey, I don't have to give the full $200,000 to the University of Cincinnati to be supportive. In fact, maybe there are issues that you have with the athletic department that, that annoy you or make you, you know, feel like you could get a better return on your investment by going a different path. Let's say maybe you then say, instead of spending $200,000 to support the university of Af university's athletics department, I'll spend a hundred thousand dollars on this quarterback. Who's a five-star recruit who wouldn't come to the university absent this hundred thousand dollar guarantee. And so I'm going to basically give him a hundred thousand dollar a year annual opportunity to be on my signs, my billboards, my whatnots, and that's a way that I can be a booster without actually funding the athletics department. Now you've got $200,000 that was at play that now the athletics department might only get a hundred thousand and a hundred thousand dollars might go to that student athlete. And so you create this weird competitive system whereby some of the student athletes themselves might be pulling money away from the athletics department budget. And the university is going to be completely you know, the incentives are all wrong. They're going to want to do everything they can to resist that um, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact their budget in a bad way. So I think the best approach, this is the most reasonable approach is universities pay the student athletes. They can't and afford it. I don't know. They can't afford it, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. So, and, and then you say to this booster, hey, you know, we could, we could pay for that five-star recruit, but we can't, you know, we can't afford payroll on a player that way, like that's that good if we don't have more money coming in. 
And so now, now you, you set up a different system and it's, it's, it's a little more regulated and it, I think it probably feels better than, than, than some, than, than secret, a car dealer. secret money. <laughs> yeah. Car well, dealer. then a car dealer showing up with a, with a duffel bag of cash, you know, it, it just, it feels way better to, to run it through the university itself. I mean, you know, right now we have a system where, and I have this on some authority that just to get in the living room of five-star recruits in SEC states, Arkansas, Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, the entrance fee is $20,000 just to get in the living room for an in-home visit. So knowing that, knowing that is very, a very real thing that is going on right now. I mean, you know, Zion Williamson made a ton of money at Duke. It, it's, it's probably never going to see the light of day because there are going to be so many confidentiality agreements and non-disclosure agreements signed by all those parties. And again, Nike is going to be incentivized to protect that. Zion's probably going to be incentivized to protect that because the money was probably not going to him, but rather to a family member. And he doesn't want to lay them out on some sort of tax exposure. Um, so, you know, I think the money's already out there. It's already being spent. It's already being used. Let's just, let's not, you know, let's not leave it a black market. Let's let it be a free market. Let it see the light of day. Let it run through the universities and then see. Open the curtains. Right. Just, uh, Put some light up, put some light on that money. And, yeah. and let's, let's be real. Like while we call them student athletes, they have expectations placed above them beyond that of a student, especially like if you're looking at, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to put down any sport, but we're just focusing on, you know, men's, men's, uh, women's basketball, uh, in, in college football, you know, wearing suits on game days or, you know, dressing up, you're expected to be in the weight room. You have a regimented schedule. You have a professional telling you what to eat, when to get up, when to go to bed, you know, everything about your life is regimented in a way that a professional athlete's life is regimented. You are, they're, they're not, they're not amateurs. They're not amateurs in, in this sense. And we just need to come to that realization that they're not. And it's okay to, it's okay to pay these players. Cause at the end of the day, like I, I speak, the big 10 is also thinking, well, how can we, they're not professionals. How can we, how can we force them to go out in the field and play? Well, you can give them the choice and you can compensate them for what they're, the sacrifices they're, they're bringing for the university. I love it, hum. I love it. Um, sir, we've kept you for uh, quite a bit of time here. I, I want to wind this down, and I'm famous for saying we're going to wind it down and then not doing so. Um, <laughs> let, me, let, me get, let me get your opinion here. <laughs> the news of the night, the news of the night, besides uh, Jim Herman winning the golf tournament that I don't know who sponsored. Um, big news for Jim, third win, I think, in the last three years is a debate as to uh, Skyline Chile initiated this, cutting and, cutting and twirling three ways, four ways, and five ways. Any kind of uh, Cincinnati chili you're eating, are you twirling or are you cutting? Wait, what? Have you heard, have you heard this? Oh, so no. See, when, I heard okay. about his win, and I heard that, that he might be the, the greatest golfer of all time, and he's pursuing Tiger's records. <laughs> I, I know he's on Tiger's trail, but... That probably distracted you, right? That, that <laughs> was the news of the night. This was a close second. Look, okay. Skyline asked people if, if for their three ways. Let's just say it's a three-way. When okay. you eat it, do you twirl the spaghetti and the, no. and the chili and cheese, no. or do you do cut I, it? I mean, do I seem like a twirler? <laughs> no. Okay. I didn't know people right. twirled. I thought people who twirled were from other countries or other cities and weren't yes. familiar with how to eat it. 
Their Not unofficial official. survey was was if you liked it, then you were a twirler. You had to retweet it if you were a cutter. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, you're adding an extra step for the for the cutting folks over here. You're yeah. you're barrier to entry. There's really more, low. More people have supported yeah. twirling, but it includes the what? likes of Mo Egger. It includes the likes of, of Mo's a twirler. He's, he's a twirler. Oh wow! We need to I, shame I all of these people. You can't. I will. You can't yeah. taste it the same way. I. I don't know. You know a lot of people. Just make sure they understand how wrong well, it you, is. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about the strategy here. You've got noodles underneath, right? And then you've got this layer of delicious cheese on top. That's if cold. You twirl, that's cold that's, cheese. Yeah, that's cold cheese. And if you twirl, you, you're just slopping it all together. You know, you've taken basically a hot like a hot fudge sundae, and you've made it a chocolate milkshake. And it's it's messed up. I can't even believe that that is a thing right now. And I'm disappointed in Mo. I'm disappointed in the city if that many people are twirling. Uh, and and I hope that folks hear this podcast uh, and they they make a life correction. I think, I think Lance Lance. I think Lance is a is a cutter too. No, he's a twirler. He's a twirler. <sighs> he, he was shocked. Of, he he says, was shocked wait, to learn cut? that people people cut. cut? I'm sad. I think he's a twirler. I, I could have told you he's a twirler. <laughs> here's the thing about <laughs> here's, here's the thing about cutting versus twirling. If you twirl, I can almost guarantee you the last four to five, maybe six bites of your three-way, you are not, you don't have any cheese. You have no cheese with your bites. It's no, only going to be no. chili and, and spaghetti at that yes. point. When you cut, every single bite's going to be perfect. All three it's, or four or five layers are going to be in those bites. It's foolish. It it is. It is as foolish as just eating the crackers without hot sauce on it. It's like, I, I, I don't know why anybody would twirl. It feels lazy. First off, it feels lazy to me. It does. You know, you just, you just, just D digging in without actually doing some prep yourself. Are you that lazy that you, why don't you just put it in an IV, you know, and just <laughs> lay back and, and take it that way. Eat you it know? in pill form. So yeah. I have to ask, are you at, if you're twirling, so we have to ask these twirlers, if you are twirling, are you asking for a spoon then with your meal so that you're twirling right. in Italian, Italian style on the spoon? Because that's Do they wrong. think they're in the, do they think they're in like a, a Godfather movie by twirling? Because <laughs> I can tell you it, that's, there, there's nothing, there's nothing masculine first off about twirling and, and there's, and there's no real, there's no real work ethic being demonstrated. Like if you minimally cannot take the time to just cut it into delicious bites, that's on you. And that's, it's a re poor reflection on your character. I think the twirling probably takes up more time because of how many, the, the margin of error when you, when you just have stuff falling off and now you're trying to twirl oh, and sloppy. scoop and it's just, it's just sloppy. It's sloppy. Your it's first so bite sloppy. is all cheese. Your first bite, if yeah. you're twirling, your first bite is just eating cheese. So I, I have three sons that, uh, 12, 10, and, and eight, and they're, they slurp it, you know, but they're kids and they're, and they are lazy. So, but they, they, you know, they, they get in there and they're just kind of slurping They're It's like a, it's like an even lazier form of twirling. So um, you're eating like a six-year-old. They're basically eating like a slightly older six-year-old. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, programming Fox. alert, John Brandon is going to be on College Hoops Today podcast. Who's is that? Uh, that that's, is John, uh, so John Rothstein. That is our, our Mick Cronin lover. They're brutal. Um, Hummer, I look, I got excited. Mick Cronin was on it a couple years ago when he still coached the Bearcats. They're brutal. You don't get anything out of them. I, John, that, 
John Brandon might as well. He might as well. He might as well watch paint dry for 20 minutes rather than do that podcast. We're going to learn nothing. Yeah, there there are a couple of people in the media. John Rothstein is one who were just pure. All they did was carry water for Mick, and I, I, you know, I'm not. I in no way, shape, or form hate Mick. I'm not ungrateful for his contributions, um, but there were some folks who were so blatantly and over the top, just, you know, they, they would never say anything critical. And some of them would even go to great lengths of writing articles uh, that were spoon fed them by, by his. I would say one of those articles was written just before his departure about how wrong the athletic, uh, I think uh, his name rhymes with Schmike McCorsey. (laughs) (laughs) And I think uh, Schmike and I may have gotten in a, a tense, Twitter debate at one, oh. at one point. Yeah, of and course, was, Mike. And he was scumbagging <laughs> me via proxies, and I was returning <laughs> scumbagging uh, via other proxies. Love it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, doing that. I, that was so annoying. Well, hey, uh, where, can, uh, where can people, what are you up to these days, Bearcats-wise? Are you writing any blogs, or you got anything in the, in the cooker here? You're kind you know, of you're the guy who always gets the administrators, right? So if we're going to be if someone's <laughs> going to be talking to, to John Cunningham, it's going to be you. Yeah, I well, I did a pod with him early on, but I this whole COVID thing is sidelined me. I don't I don't like to deal in actual speculation. I will I will frequently speculate and I will make wild uh, predictions based solely on loyalty and uh, hope. <laughs> but but this whole COVID thing has really thrown a curveball because it's like uh, it's just tough to talk about what might reasonably take place because right. I don't even know if there's going to be a season. Um, I I think there's going to be. I get the sense that a lot of the stakeholders that matter in the national landscape are going to drive the conversation. Um, I don't think that those folks, you know, everybody, people are concerned about the disease getting politicized trust me when i say this no politician who wants to get elected in the united states is going to take a they shouldn't play college football position it's just not (laughs) going to happen not publicly they may privately think that but publicly both candidates are going to support college football um so i think that those folks might be helpful in making certain that our season goes forward i my my personal desire is that the 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 crowd of teams that play continue to thin because then the University of Cincinnati could have a lot of eyeballs on its program in a season where we're going to be pretty daggone good. I love that. That is something I do love the idea of us getting the boost because uh, we're bowl eligible already, baby. Couldn't play. We, yeah, we're yeah we're <laughs> we might be New Year Six eligible here soon. <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure, sir. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope to one day have you back on to actually talk about real sports yes. uh, in a way that's much more fun and uh, lighthearted. And we can all continue to make fun of John Rothstein and his meaningless uh, place. <laughs> his robotic tweets. Basket, his robotic yes. tweets. I want to yeah. say 25% of our podcasts are dedicated to hating John Rothstein. Oh, so, that, yeah. <laughs> Rothstein's like Twitter account is to college basketball what Magic Johnson's Twitter account is to the NBA. Hundred percent, hundred percent, even maybe worse. At least magic. At least magic had like, you know, 
he's a trusted athlete. You know, you know. Okay, and that's that too. At least magic is magic. Is that, that's right. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rothstein is just a robot. That's all. <laughs> well, on that note, let's leave it there. Uh, B Fox, find him on Twitter. He's the best Bearcat sports uh, Twitter account out there. Let's face it. That's oh, what I voted you. for on the survey. You were my thank servant. you. You're I a enjoy good your man. poetry as well. I can't wait to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys. I, I, I love what you're doing. This has been a lot of fun. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks.